Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you that you are who you say you are. You're a miracle worker, a promise keeper. You're my God. That's who you are. You're a good, good father, and I'm loved by you. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me this morning the word that you've given me. Father, they be your words and not mine, and that you would be seen and not me. Lord, that it would find good ground and bear fruits 30, 60, and 100-fold. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hallelujah. I want to read a scripture verse first. I say it's found in Isaiah chapter 37, verses 31 to 32. And I'm going to read it from the New King James. It says, And the remnant who have escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and those who escape from Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, will do this. I was reading this the other day, and it was just like, pow. They titled it, The Remnant. Can you read that? I didn't make sure that everybody could read it, because I was working on that this last week, going, yeah, that's a little light. I don't know. Hopefully this will work. Remnant, heard the term before, remnants. Remember when uh, we were stationed in Michigan, and when we first got to Michigan, they put us in a house. It was a multi, multiplex. There were like six houses. They're multi-story altogether, and they put us in one. It was great because it was a three-bedroom with a basement, and uh, it, was, it was really nice. Just walked right in. And, and so, but after a while, we'd been there a while, the base decided that they were going to take the house that we lived in because we lived on a short street. It was a very short street. There were two sets of multiplexes, one on that side of the street and the one on this side of the street where we lived. And that was all the housing that was on that street. So they decided that they were going to make it into temporary lodging for people either coming in or going out. And so they made us move. Yeah, that was no fun. But we did a DIY move, and they paid me to move us. So we moved about three blocks. The streets were alphabetical. Atlas, Beaumark, Commando, Delta, Electra. We lived on Electra, and they moved us to Beaumark. And not only did they move us to Beaumark, they moved us to one of the the houses, the only house that I know of in there that had caught fire. And so they had to redo it. So it was very nice inside, brand new hardwood floors. Everything was brand new because it caught fire. And so we didn't want to, see, when you go through military housing, if you've, those of you who've lived in military housing know that when you leave, it has to look better than when you moved in. Well, when you have brand new hardwood floors, you don't want those hardwood floors messed up. So we had a friend of ours that went to the church, and he worked at a carpet store, and he gave us a really good deal on carpet remnants. And padding. So we put carpet, remnants, two different styles. A little commercial style over in the dining area and then a nice thick, oh, it was was, was nice. Probably the best carpet we've ever had, huh? 
But it was a remnant. You know what a remnant is, right? A remnant, let me give you the definition. It's a small remaining quantity of something. He sold us a small remaining quantity of what was on, had originally been on a roll really long and that they used. It was all they had left, and so they sold it. They can't waste anything, so they want to get every bit of money that they can. You go to Home Depot or go to Lowe's, and they'll sell you remnants, and it's usually at a discounted price because it's all they have left. Let me give you a biblical definition of what a remnant is. The biblical definition says leftovers or remainders, whether of daily food, food at the Passover, anointing oil, or even and especially people who survive a major disaster. That's the biblical definition of a remnant. A remnant of people is what's left of a community following a catastrophe, such as Noah's family after the flood. It was a remnant. See, oftentimes we think of a remnant as we have in our minds this certain size of what a remnant is, right? A remnant could be this big of a piece of material. A remnant could be this big of a piece of a carpet roll. A remnant is a small. Noah was small. Noah, his wife, his sons, and their wives. God repopulated the world with them. A remnant. Lot's family was a remnant. They were a remnant from, a, from Sodom and Gomorrah. They were a remnant. Those who were left in Jerusalem at the Babylonian captivity, there were some left. They were a remnant of what was left, a remnant of what was in Jerusalem. A remnant, a small part. It's not the whole, but it's a representative of what was. A representative of the original. Terms from the rem, for a remnant in the Old Testament, and they derive from six roots, and they occur 540 times. The word remnant is used in the Bible, in the Old Testament. Remnant. If God uses a word that many times in a, in, in, in a span of 39 books, how many of you knew that there's 39 books in the Old Testament? How many of you know how many books are in the New Testament? Brian, no. There's 27. But if God in 39 books uses the word uh, remnant 540 times, it must be important. Let me tell you this, God will always have a remnant. Always have a remnant. You and I could be the remnant. There's coming a day, and I'm afraid it's not all that far in the future, when you'll either deny, you'll have to deny the Lord or have your head cut off. I used to wonder how that could be. How would that happen? You know, I have to have my head cut off. Well, shoot, they don't do that anymore. You know what? Muslims do. Muslims are taking over the world. They're taking over this country. And we're just letting them do it. Muslims need to be saved just like everyone else. 
I worked for three years trying to make sure that Muslims heard that Jesus Christ loved them. But God will always have a remnant for himself. Romans 11, 3 to 4, New King James. Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. God will always have a remnant. Always have a remnant. See, be, why? It's because the zeal of the Lord establishes it. What did he say in verse 32? It says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It's the zeal of God that will always have himself a remnant. The Hebrew word for, for zeal in this verse is actually the word for jealousy. It's the word jealousy. God is jealous. God is a jealous God. That's why he will always have for himself a remnant. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, For I am a jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. He's jealous. He doesn't want to present a body with spot or wrinkle, a bride with spot or wrinkle to the one who gave his life for them, to the, to the groom. Without spot or wrinkle, it's godly jealousy. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 4 through 5, I'm reading this from the New American Standard. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Nothing can be before him. He's jealous. Not like we're jealous. Godly jealousy is different from fleshly and earthly jealousy. Godly jealousy is just and right and perfect. When we get our jealousy involved, it usually ends up causing sin. Yeah. Zeal of the Lord is, according to Thomas Shane, an effectual manifestation of divine holiness. It also denotes an earnest desire. God's earnest desire to establish his remnant. See, we've lost, the, we've kind of lost the meaning of what earnest means. Because in this day, nobody does, or I won't say nobody, but the majority, the vast majority of people don't do anything earnestly. They do it half-heartedly. They do it eh, just enough to get by. God is calling us to earnestly desire, earnestly desire the word of God, earnestly desire a relationship with Jesus, earnestly desire the deeper things, earnestness. Years ago when we were at the big church in Sacramento, there was a, a man came and spoke from, from Africa and he said the thing that surprised him most was the lack of earnestness in American prayer. Shame on us. Shame on us that somebody from another country comes and says, you people are not earnest in your prayers. 
I don't want to be that kind of person. I want to do things earnestly. That means with all I have. With all that I am within me. Blessing his holy name. English definition, here's an English definition of jealousy, is vigilantly guarding something. I vigilantly guard my wife. Vigilantly guard my relationship with Jesus Christ. Vigilantly, earnestly guard it. I also found another definition, and it articulates this very, very well. And I want to read it for you. It says, godly jealousy is a sensitive alertness to abatement or transference of affection. Let me read that again. Godly jealousy is a sensitive alertness. You're sensitive and you're alert to the fact that the... uh, affection is abating or being transferred to something else. You're sensitive to the fact that your affection may be transferring or drawing back. That's what godly jealousy is. And when godly jealousy is involved there and you're sensitive to that, you do whatever it takes to keep that where it's supposed to be, to keep your affection where it's supposed to be and on whom it's supposed to be. There was a pastor named Ray Steadman, and he said this about godly jealousy. It arises from a deep passion for the welfare of others. Godly jealousy, Jesus, the, the godly jealousy that's talking about in this scripture, that, that his zeal, his godly jealousy will keep the remnant, will establish the remnant, is because of his deep passion for the welfare of that remnant. Deep, deep passion, sensitivity to abatement or transference of affection. We have to pray and we have to ask the Holy Spirit to make us sensitive. Sensitive to know when our affection is being changed, is being steered in another direction, an ungodly direction in a place it shouldn't be. Because what that'll do is when it starts going in a direction it shouldn't go, we'll start to bring callousness. And when there's callousness, then there's no sensitivity. And then pretty soon you are way down a road that you never thought you'd be down. Going, how did I get here? Let me give you some characteristics of the remnant. The first one, God's remnant people are keenly aware that they're saved by grace and not by any merit in themselves. You are keenly aware. You are sensitive to the fact that it has nothing to do with anything you can do. It's all the grace of Jesus Christ. Romans 11.5 from the NIV Even so, at this present time, also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. For by grace we've been saved, through faith, not of works, that none of us can boast about it. Look what I've done. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gave a lot of money today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I went down to the church, and yeah, and I did all the yard work, and yeah, look at me, boy. I sit in the park in the freezing cold, yeah, with a, with a, with a stand full of literature that's heresy, and yeah, I'm going, to, I'm going to heaven because I do that. Or I go out and I knock on doors. I hand out tracts. That's not getting you to heaven. The only reason that that has anything to do with anything is because if you're doing it out of because you're saved, out of your love for Christ, you're doing it with a passion for the welfare of others because it's born out of your relationship with Christ. It doesn't establish your relationship with Christ. It's a result of your love. God's remnant have a deep appreciation for his forgiveness and mercy and thus receive the full benefit of his salvation and truth. You realize that if it wasn't for Jesus, we're on a fast track to the lake of fire. We're headed there with no recourse. Nothing that we can do. But because of the salvation of Jesus Christ, the thing that we remembered today, because of that, because of that, we're aware. Micah chapter 7, verse 18 to 19. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? There's that word again. He delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and subdue our iniquities. There's a promise for you. He'll subdue your iniquities. You know what an iniquity is, right? It's a pattern of doing things. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn to your father from days of old. The remnant are a people of unshakable integrity who love truth and are totally honest. I hope you're kind of reflecting on your life. As I'm going through these, these aren't all the characteristics, but these are characteristics of a remnant people. If these characteristics aren't in you, then you are either not at that point yet in your sanctification process, or you've just totally ignored it. And you need to add these things. You have to add these things. Because the scripture says, if these things abound in you, you will not be unprofitable. You'll be successful. Paul preached that. Paul taught that. I taught a sermon, I did a sermon series on it. So if you want to go back to you, go to our podcast. 
or maybe go way back. You might be able to find them, and if you want, want them, I'll, I can fish them out for you somewhere. But there are, we're an unshakable integrity, and we love truth and totally honest. Zephaniah 3.13, the remnant of Israel shall not do iniquity nor speak lies. Neither shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth, for they shall feed and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. It's what a remnant is. I, I love that. We'll feed and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Because this is kind of a reference to we as being sheep. What does Psalm 23 say? He makes me to lie down in green pastures. And when the shepherd is there, I'm not afraid. We're of unshakable integrity. We don't do the, good, the bad things when nobody's around. We do the good things even when no one's watching. Unshakable integrity. Something to be cherished is your integrity. Integrity. The remnant are called and will not bow to societal pressures. 2 Corinthians 6, 16 to 17. This is from good old King Jimmy. At what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and do not touch the unclean thing. I will and I will receive you. It's a standard. Our standards have become so lax anymore. God has set up a standard. He's raised up a standard, and you are that standard. You're the standard. And he's saying, come out from among them. Stop acting and stop looking like the world. And what's the promise there? What's the promise? And I will receive you. I'm not going to tell you what you're doing that's making you look like the world. You know what you're doing that makes you look like the world. And I know what I'm doing that makes me look like the world. And God is calling me out of that. Because I'm supposed to be looking like him. If I'm the remnant, I need to be looking like the original. And the original is Jesus Christ. I should look like him. People look at me and say, oh, there goes Jesus. Yeah. This is good. Yeah, you might not like it, but I do. Here's another thing. The remnant are rooted and they bear fruit. Colossians. Two, six, and seven. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, to continue, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, 
strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. There's a word that goes along with what we were celebrating on Thursday, but we celebrate it on Thursday, we're thankful, and we say we're thankful, and then we go out that afternoon, or we go out the next day, and we elbow and claw and run over people to get something that we, you know, we're already thankful, we gotta get more. (laughs) Right? Oh, Lord, I'm so thankful for everything I have. Get out of my way. I need that toaster. (laughs) Open, 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 open. (laughs) It's laughable what we're doing. You know, it really is. We have to be thankful. We have to be built, rooted and built up in who? Him. Who is him? Jesus. Strengthened in the faith as we were taught. See, I'm going to say it. If you're not in church, you're not being taught. I didn't say it. So, (laughs) I only say things like that because I love you. And I want what's best for you. And I understand sometimes that you can't be here. But there is no earthly reason why people should be here one week and gone the next. Here a week, gone the next. Here a week, gone three. Here a week, gone four. And then call me and complain that stuff's going on in your life. Hello, McFly. It's funny, but it's not. It's serious business. There's a standard. I'm moving on. See, one of the things about being rooted and, uh, rooted and built up and uh, rooted and bearing fruit is that our root determines our fruit. Your root determines your fruit. What are you grounded in? What are you rooted in? Because whatever it is is determining the fruit that's being produced in your life. Well, how do you know that, Pastor? Well, it says so in John 15, 16. That's how I know. You've not chosen me, but I've chosen you, and I have appointed you and placed you and purposely planted you so that you would go and bear fruit and keep on bearing, that your fruit will remain and be lasting, so that whatever you ask for the Father in my name, as my representative, he may give it to you. You didn't choose him. He chose you. And he appointed you and ordained you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit, in the King James it says, and your fruit should remain. See, that's the kind of 
You know what, what he's saying there? It's saying that your fruit isn't going to rot when it's off the vine. Because most of the time you pull fruit from the vine and what happens? It rots. But godly fruit, when it's pulled, will not go away. It will remain and will be effective always. That's why it's so important that we root ourselves and ground ourselves in the word of God. We root ourselves and ground ourselves in Jesus Christ. Because when we're in that kind of soil, we can't help but produce good fruit. You can't help it. Certain plants need certain kinds of soil. And it's amazing how stuff even grows around here. <laughs> I've never seen soil like this. You go out here, you don't have to have a pick. You don't have to have a backhoe. You, don't, you can go out here with a shovel and you can have a, a hole four foot by four foot in a matter of minutes. And then you go to my house and you need the pick and you need the backhoe because it's so hard. But certain plants thrive in this. And certain plants thrive in the hard pack. And certain plants thrive in rich, deep soil. Whatever you're planted in, your fruit is going to be affected. So remember that your root determines your fruit. God will always have a remnant. Always have a remnant. I want to be part of that remnant. Will you be part of it? Last week I uh, did a message Remember the message last week? Really? It works so hard. Mirror, mirror. How quickly they forget, remember? You weren't in here, so. Were you? You were in half, that's right. Oh, that's, I know why, because you were all thinking about going and eating. That's why. <laughs> but remember, mirror, mirror, what, what do you look like? When you look in the mirror, what, what it, what is, what's your reflection, right? Do you look like the original, or do you look like a fake? Do you look like a knockoff? You know, the stuff, that junk stuff that's, that you can go down 
to Chinatown in, in almost any city, and you can buy a Louis Vuitton for 50 bucks. My friends, I'm going to tell you right now, if you think that you buy a $50 Louis Vuitton, you are nuts. There ain't no place on earth you're going to get a real Louis Vuitton for 50 bucks. Nowhere. But you know what? There are telltale signs that the fake is a fake. A Louis Vuitton bag. He's got, he's got Louis Vuitton on it. It's got the logo and everything on it. And it's always, it will always line up. It will never be mismatched. Never. That's why they cost so much money. The meticulous attention to detail. The inside is always red. If the lining on your Louis Vuitton is pink or your lining on your Louis Vuitton is white, my friends, you do not have a Louis Vuitton. But there are fakes out there. And when you look in a mirror, do you see a fake or do you see the real thing? Does your stitching line up? Does your logo line up? If not, you need an adjustment. Make it an adjustment. And the Holy Spirit's in that business to make that adjustment for you. He can take what's already put together, rearrange it, and make it come out so that everything works and looks right. Are we experiencing the same things that the originals experienced? Are we? Are we experiencing the same things that they experienced from the day of Pentecost on? If not, we need an adjustment. Because if we're the remnant, we should look like and be experiencing the same things that they experienced. Well, say amen or owe me one of the two. The man named Dave Butts, he founded Harvest Prayer Ministries, and he said this, living the Christian life is not a casual attachment to religious activity. Did you get that? Christian life is not a casual attachment to religious activities. It's an all-out loving desire to walk with Jesus day by day. All out. All out. Not holding anything back, nothing in reserve. Everything within you going towards it. Longing to be like him, longing to be with him. Hallelujah. I don't want to be one of the crowd. I don't want to be one of the crowd. When I was working at Cintas, I worked there for six and a half years, and for, for a few of those years, I was what they called a Smith driving system trainer. It's an advanced driving course. They get cheaper insurance rates because they're teaching you how to be a better driver, right? One of the things is there's not, was, there was five points, and in one of the points, it talked about getting the big picture and seeing, and then one of them was, you know, seeing what's up ahead of you. 
And part of that was not being in a pack of cars. Being one of the crowd, because there's not safety in numbers when you're driving down the freeway at 80 miles an hour. You need some distance and you need some space because there's a lot of idiots on the road. Sometimes I wonder, how did they even get a driver's license? It boggles my mind. Remember one time seeing in Sacramento and a lot of the, the major streets in Sacramento, that when you have a turn lane, there's actually two turn lanes. And in some cases, three. And I was, and I'll tell you exactly where this happened. It was at the intersection of Arden Way and Howe Avenue. I mean, sorry. Yeah, Arden Way and Howe. And there was a person who was in the, the, the second of the two lanes. And they pulled a U-turn. You remember that? Yeah, like she said, whatever they think they can get away with, they'll do. I don't want to be one of the crowd. I don't want to be part of the crowd. I want to be leading. Because as believers and as Christians, we need to be leading the pack. We don't need to be following. We need to be setting the example. We need to be setting the standard. There's a story about a chicken and a pig. One day the chicken decides that the two should start a restaurant. The pig is intrigued by the idea and says, that sounds great. I'm an entrepreneurial type of pig. I'm sick of working for the farmer. But what are we going to call the restaurant? Chicken thinks. She scratches and pecks at the dirt and suggests, ham and eggs. <laughs> to which the pig replies, no thanks, I'd be committed, you'd only be involved. <laughs> so that begs the question, are you committed or are you just involved? I want to be committed. I don't want to be just involved. I want to be committed. Because commitment in this case means my life for his. Scripture plainly says to get your life, you have to lose your life. That's being committed. Not my will, but yours be done. That's committed. I want to be committed. I don't want to be just have a casual attachment to religious activities. But I want to be committed. I want to go whole hog. How many of you want to go whole hog? I want to go whole hog. I want to be committed. Stand to your feet.